this episode of China Unscripted. China supports Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Xi Jinping solidifies his grip on power, and protests erupt across China. That and more of the biggest China stories of 2022. Welcome to China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chang, and I'm Matt Ganesha. And it's a new year, so that means we're going to look back at the past. Year in China, and there were some pretty big things that happened in China. Should we really dwell on the past, Chris? Though,、uh, what better way to look to the future than to understand where we came from? That's something that the Chinese Communist Party actually wholeheartedly disagrees with. I think that's <laughs> <laughs> true.、Uh, well, what about the remembering seventy years of glorious、uh, Communist Party tradition? Chinese. Or a hundred years of CCP rule? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was definitely looking back at an accurate look at the past. They like looking back at the past, just、uh, with certain、uh, viewpoints. Uh huh. With red-colored glasses. That's good. Like,、uh, well, where do we want to begin with the biggest stories? I mean, I think one of the big stories that really came out over this past year was that、uh, China was setting up police stations in other countries without them knowing. Oh, I mean, they weren't police stations, right? They were overseas police service stations. Just helpful policemen helping Chinese people abroad、uh, get kidnapped, renew their driver's licenses mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. by going back to China first under duress. Yeah, I mean, this th- this was a big escalation of like you know over the years we've seen like、uh, Operation Skynet or Operation Fox Hunt, where the Chinese Communist Party is going abroad and. And then capturing Chinese people that it wants to get a hold of, but I mean, these, this police station thing was on a whole new level. In particular, I couldn't believe that. Well, I mean, one, this is the reason why most countries don't have extradition treaties with the Chinese Communist Party. And really, they've been very smart at finding a way around that. So, who needs an extradition treaty? Well, what was so ballsy about this is that's basically what they said. It's like, yeah, like we there is an extradition treaty, but like it's just so much red tape. We just figured it's easier just. Take the people like they actually were saying this. I mean, they literally kidnapped the head of Interpol, who was Chinese, yeah, a couple years ago. So, you know, they obviously don't really care about international police cooperation. No, I mean this is just another one of those things of like, like clearly the Chinese Communist Party does not care about、uh, agreements, international norms,、uh, and and yet it's it seems like people or governments continually. Think there's a chance that they'll they'll follow laws. I feel. I wonder if there's some kind of almost like plausible deniability with these overseas police stations because they were not set up by the central government. They were set up by、mm. like the provincial police stations in different provinces and sometimes in count the counties. So it's kind of like, oh well, you know, this was like a local government thing. Like that, these, you know, it was just. You know, Wenzhou and yeah, Fujian, maybe we、yeah. should ask the Chinese central authorities for their help in cracking down on this. Yeah, yeah, they got to bring their their own provinces and and、yeah. into line, right? I think Xi Jinping will agree to that. Well, I think this is also especially significant, and we'll get to the, these stories at the end. But like, this was a big year of protests in China, but also overseas Chinese people. Joining in in the protests, so I think these Chinese police will have a lot of、uh, unsavory overseas Chinese that need some、uh, some cracking down on. I mean, so far they've used the excuse that like, oh, they're cracking down on、um, what, like phone scammers and things like that.、Mm-hmm. So we don't have any 
evidence yet that they're actually going after dissidents or whatever, but you can definitely see the line that this is going down. Yeah. I mean, we just have evidence of like, you know, the Chinese Students and Scholars Association pressuring Chinese students or all the other mountains of evidence we have that, uh, you know, overseas Chinese people get harassed by the Chinese communist Oh, yeah. I'm just saying that the police stations haven't been caught doing it yet. Specifically? Yes. And, you know, when you have things like, what was that case where the, the FBI recently arrested this Chinese student for basically harassing and stalking another Chinese student in Boston. Yeah. Uh, for putting up posters that were like pro-Chinese democracy. Yeah, that was wild. Yeah. And um, that kind of thing is like, they don't even have to use their police stations. That's true. And I don't think that, you know, Chinese student understood that he was actually breaking the law in the US. Like, he probably felt like, oh, well, I'm just doing my patriarch patriotic duty like the uh the hong kong no the chinese ambassador in uh, the uk who, who grabbed oh, the hong yeah. kong protest in manchester right yeah, yeah he was like the consul general in manchester who was like it is my duty to pull his hair what what was wrong about that yeah yeah it's it's i mean he was insulting my country therefore i can pull his hair it's, it's yeah well the know. crazy part is that guy's eventually probably going to get a new and even possibly better post. Oh yeah, because he was recalled, right, by China. Yeah, but it's like he's he's demonstrated more important than following the law of the host country. He's demonstrated his loyalty to the Chinese Communist Party's ideology. His wolf warrior initiative. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. yeah, it's very appropriate about calling it a host country because the Chinese Communist Party is a parasite infecting the hosts around the world. I like that. It's really you know. I like the idea of calling the Communist Party like a parasite. It gives this, you know, diseased kind of filthy connotation to Nice it. try, it's Chris, like, but you're uh, not going to... Nope. Uh, they're, nope. They're very dirty. Nope. Nope. These nope. communists. Nope. Communists nope. are represented by red. A <laughs> it's like a dirty red. Well, I'm glad you're starting the new year off right, Chris, by trying to make me say something that I'm just never going to say. Wait, say what? I don't, you know, I don't understand. You know about. full well. Well, speaking of things that never really got off the ground, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. <laughs> Ooh. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, that was that was another big China story. And I don't think, you know, necessarily people uh, connect Russia's invasion of Ukraine with being a China story. But it, it, it was actually significant for China in a lot of ways. I mean, first of all, I think a lot of people have forgotten sort of China's hand in the whole invasion to begin with. Like for months before the invasion happened, uh, the Biden administration had been had been warning Russia was going to invade and had even like spoken directly to Chinese officials, uh, you know, giving them information about Russia and like saying, hey, this is going to happen. Can you can you can you talk to them? You know, just like how successfully you've been able to talk to North Korea and get them to. I mean, never we don't do know that they said in. that, but essentially. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just I'm being facetious there. But yeah, they 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 wanted China to say something to Russia, and the Chinese officials were like, "Ah, no, it's crazy. You're over exaggerating." And then they gave all that information to Russia. Uh, yeah, that the U.S. was warning China that Russia was going to invade. Yeah, and then supposedly they were asking Russia to delay the invasion until after the Beijing Winter Olympics. Yeah, that was also something that came out of like the U.S. government. So mm-hmm. there's a filter there, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that conversation happened. Yes, definitely, because uh. they met uh, Putin and she met uh, like right at the tail end of the Winter Olympics, I think, or right before. And didn't 
Russia do something? Didn't they do a special military operation during the Sochi Olympics in 2014? Oh, yeah. I think there was That's something. Crimea. It was Crimea, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, they had a history of doing that. So I could imagine Xi Jinping pulling Vladimir aside and being like, hey, don't uh, rain on our parade over here. I mean, because I mean, well, actually, he probably wanted that because there was no snow in the the Beijing Winter Olympics. So at least a little rain might have helped. Uh, don't worry, they had the artificial snow. They had the artificial snow uh, that didn't make one of our top ten stories. Oh my gosh, year, that but... feels so long ago, doesn't no, it? It does. Yeah, although also Russia's invasion of Ukraine was what end of February. So it yeah, was yeah, like... that was that was a good way to kick off twenty twenty two. Yeah, I mean, I think I think we've all basically forgotten about the Beijing Olympics. Uh, but also they had less of an impact uh, than the 2008 Beijing Olympics because that was kind of like, you know, China's debutante ball. They're sort of, you know, coming out into the world ceremony. Whereas 2022, it's kind of like people are already kind of annoyed at China for, you know, covering up COVID. and Well, it's also the Winter Olympics and nobody cares about the Winter Olympics. Which seems strange to me since there is a sport where you ski and then shoot something. That seems like the coolest thing around. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. There's also the one where it's, uh, what is it, the, the shuffle? Oh, curling? Curling. You're comparing yeah. curling to shooting guns? What's yeah. It, what is that? What is that one called? Biathlon. Biathlon, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is not a good name for it. There's right. only two athlons. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just sounds like a track event. Right, exactly. But anyway. Most events, I, I think, would be improved by the presence of guns. I think. Pole uh, vaulting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Quick. And well, it gets you prepared for uh, if there's a communist takeover and you have to get over uh, the wall they build. So anyway, so, so uh, Russia invades Ukraine. And now China is like hey, come to us to help negotiate a ceasefire because we, China, are friends with Russia. Well, we should probably not like do anything to upset China so they don't, you know, to ensure that they still help us with Russia, right? Yeah, I think so. That's probably probably a good way to get what we want. Yeah, let's definitely not, um, you know, put any kind of trade restrictions on them or or criticize them for covering up. I do have to say that that doesn't seem to be the trap that the U.S. is falling into. True. Although I think part of the reason is that because they're essentially trying to use Ukraine to weaken Russia as much as possible. So they're not yet interested in- Yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard that analysis. Like that's why it's just, just another way to kind of like bankrupt uh, Russia. Although uh, I think it is clear that the Russian's military is not quite what everyone- feared. I do think that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been very bad for China's ambitions to invade Taiwan. Well, that is the other big thing that came out of it because suddenly people started taking China's threat to invade Taiwan a lot more seriously. And the whole idea of this sort of uh, globalist world order, no conspiracies here, but the idea that you could have uh, change the definition of freedom to include just free trade. Mm-hmm. And you could work with authoritarians like Putin or Xi Jinping or any of the Chinese Communist Party leaders. They really, that doesn't work in the long run. It just gets you, like like Germany found, it gets you completely dependent on uh, Russian oil and natural gas. And then when that gets disrupted, inevitably, 
you're in trouble. Yeah, but before that, you can make money. That's true. And yet the EU is very hesitant still to back the U.S. when it's trying to crack down on like China's semiconductor industry and things like that. Like the EU has definitely been dragging its feet and trying to kind of like play the middle here. EU? More like PU. <laughs> uh, it's it's the dirty reds they uh-huh, smell. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. This is pretty good. I'm, I'm starting off 2023 on a pretty good, pretty good footing. Um, that is still up for discussion. Well, I have a year to figure that out. But yeah, that that also brings us nicely into uh, one of the other biggest stories of the year, I think, it was uh, when Nancy Pelosi visited Taiwan, very much in the context of this uh, Russia-Ukraine kerfluffle. Well, she visited back in August, August right? It, yeah. Yeah. She was going to visit earlier in the year, but then she got COVID, so she didn't go. But what uh, surprised me about the whole Nancy Pelosi visiting Taiwan thing is the amount of pressure put on her by White House officials to not go. Yeah, that's it, it that was, was kind of shocking. It was not a good look for the Biden administration. No. Well, neither is like the four times now Biden has said the U.S. would defend Taiwan if China invaded. And then people in his administration are like, no, 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 uh, no. no. Yeah, we're not changing uh, <laughs> yeah. U.S. Taiwan policy. Yeah. No, no, not even Taiwan. Would you one China policy? Can't. Yeah. I mean, what he's saying isn't necessarily uh, even has to do with the one China policy in a certain way. Like it has nothing to do with who's China or not, right? Like what he said was just that like, we will defend Taiwan if China invades. And that's just like going too far for certain, you know, bureaucrats or. Yeah, it's really, I mean, we'll get to this in a bit when we talk about Biden's China policy, because that was unveiled this year. Um, That was another one of the big stories. But uh, yeah, you really see sort of this dissonance in the U.S. government and U.S. society more broadly about you know, people who understand that the Chinese Communist Party, you know, is a genocidal regime using rape as a form of torture, who has dedicated itself to destroying America, and the people who think they can make money there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Nancy Pelosi understands the problem with the the Chinese genocide stuff, and and she, to her credit, has been talking about Tibet as an issue since the '90s, back when that was cool to talk about, and she kind of quieted down a bit during the sort of uh, during Bush, the Bill Clinton. Bush Obama years, I don't I don't know if she was that act vocal during like when Bill Clinton was pushing for the WTO stuff either. Yeah, I mean I don't I don't remember. I was pretty young then. I'd like to think so, uh, but yeah, I mean, but at any rate, she's she's kind of come back in force and has been you know pretty outspoken about that stuff, and so that is that is to her credit. And it's not just Pelosi who visited Taiwan, although she's the highest profile person, because mm-hmm. a number of other Members of Congress. Oh yeah, have visited been Taiwan this year. Dozens of um, congressional delegations that have gone to Taiwan this year, and not just from the U.S. There's actually been a lot of uh, pretty high-ranking officials from a lot of other countries visiting Taiwan too, because again, I think in the context of the of Russia invading Ukraine, people realize that it's not when China says they want to invade Taiwan, it's not just empty talk. Yeah, and that has much more of a a 
the possibility of immediately bringing in like Japan and South Korea, like it starts mm-hmm. to affect all of Asia very, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it would be nicer to help prevent an invasion of Taiwan than have to hang Taiwanese flags on our porches after the invasion happens. Hey, but at least we'll be doing something, Chris. That's right. Hey, you know what? Maybe I'll change my Facebook profile to having the Taiwanese flag. Really be making a stand then. That's a great idea. Well, the the U.S. is increasingly showing its support for Taiwan. The latest uh, National Defense Authorization Act is uh, more pro-Taiwan, basically allocated up to $2 billion in loans so that Taiwan could buy American military equipment, which is a little bit of like a self-serve thing too, because it's like, I'm loaning you money to buy stuff from me and you still have to pay me back. It's win-win mutual cooperation. That is that yeah. is kind of belt and roadie, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. So I think it's a little funny how that's written, but nonetheless, just the idea that like, yeah, we're authorizing Taiwan to like, we well, want to I do this trade with them. Well, I think also having the whole thing about like, the US military should invite them to RIMPAC. Yeah, that I, I think was the most significant thing uh, in the new Defense Authorization Act. Yeah, because I mean, the U.S. has never done joint military operations with Taiwan, at least since uh, Taiwan was disinvited from the United Nations, right? And so RIMP, RIMPAC is basically a, a large-scale joint military exercise between a whole bunch of countries. Uh, I think last year it was like, like you know, eight or nine countries – doesn't matter. U.S. is the best, most important one. And, and I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but adding Taiwan, it's not not that we're necessarily going to do it, but at least there's like the suggestion to do it. Yeah, it just suggested it. So it does, that might not happen right. at all. Yeah. And, and, and so, I mean, that's been a politically sensitive thing for years now. Right. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you know, keep in mind, just like, you know, six, seven years ago, the U.S. was inviting the Chinese People's Liberation Army to join RIMPAC. And yeah, that's a like, special kind of stupid. It, w- it was really dumb. And it was happening during the Obama years. And then, you know, the Trump administration at some point was just like, uh, actually, China, you're disinvited. And they were, they were uh, angry. It angered China. But, you know, Trump, uh, you know, like Honey Badger, did not care. Yeah. I mean, the idea that China, like the Communist Party's People's Liberation Army would be in RIMPACT makes RIMPACT such a joke. It should be called RIMSHOT. I knew you were going somewhere with that. <laughs> I, think, I think that's 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 not bad. I mean, it's like on my level. 2023, but... <laughs> it's my year. Uh, yeah, I guess your New Year's resolution Boom. is not about using fewer puns. But like any country that joins RIMPACT gets to understand how the American military operates, right? I know. So... I mean, it's, it's kind of like... I think we had a guest on the podcast once talk about how like RIMPAC is like a showy thing. So it gets like the most attention in terms of inviting Taiwan there would be a statement. But he was like, I don't know that that's that's the actual real, right. we should, the most useful thing. Right. To His do. suggestion was actually bilateral joint yeah. military operations. And and we should do those. But realistically, RIMPAC is a, is a first step in that. And it's going to anger China. And that's okay. It's okay. We just have to sort of sit with that that feeling of 
of uh, discomfort. Yeah, I remember when uh, Pelosi visited Taiwan, like all the articles were like, Pelosi visits Taiwan, comma, angering China. Yeah, everything that has to do with Taiwan is always angering, angering China. China. But, but China is like Bruce Banner. It's yeah. always angry. I do have to give Pelosi credit for this, which is that she told the Washington Post that, um, or someone from her office leaked this to the Washington Post, that she had told White House officials that she would not go to Taiwan if Biden called her and personally asked her not to go, but then she would also tell the media that she was not going because Biden called her and personally asked her to go, not go. So yeah. it was a very neat way to kind of prevent that from happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, no. She's, she's got chutzpah and I'll give her that. Yep. Uh, which, all right. So I think this now goes very nicely into uh, the, the unveiling of the Biden China policy, because this, this all ties in, um, you know, after a year and a half, Biden finally unveiled the, the China policy, which better late than never, better never late. I mean, I think it's a little unfair to expect them to have one like from day one, but mm -hmm. a year and a half. Is yeah, a I, I would expect it from like six months, though, instead of 16 months. I think the. Uh, well, it was technically Antony Blinken, right? Who uh, did the speech unveiling it. And even that got delayed a bit because I think he got COVID too. Oh, jeez. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> Which like, the my, the great thing about 2023 is it's looking a lot like 2020. Oh, yeah. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh, goodness. Oh. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah. Uh, so in, in, in Anthony Blinken's speech, like there were a lot of good things. And overall, I think the Biden administration has done some very good things when it comes to China. Uh, but so like in Blinken's speech, he, he talked about, you know, China's human rights violations. He used the G word. He used the G word. He specifically said, you know, China, it's committing genocide. But we still got to work with them, right? Or I We don't want to anger them. We I think it was kind of more like, because there was also part of it where he was like, we don't want a cold war with China. We're not trying to keep China down, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it was like almost trying to firewall the speech against like CCP propaganda that would say those kinds of things. But it doesn't really matter. They're going to say that stuff anyway. Yeah. And it really just kind of it, it revealed the fundamental problem uh, of the Biden administration in regards to China, the failure to realize that, you know, the Chinese Communist Party is a Marxist Leninist state. Uh, it's, it's, it is considered itself, it already considers itself at war with the United States. It's not something that can be peacefully, we can't peacefully coexist with it. I think there was a lot of like, oh, well, we could, you know, if only the Chinese government would, um, come to the, you know, liberal international order. He didn't use those words, but yeah. like the idea was essentially that like they could join the international order and be one of the good guys. You know, they just have to make the decision to do that. Yeah. Except that the last 20 years of working with China has shown that what actually happens is the liberal world joins China's new world order and takes on sort of Chinese ideas of mass surveillance and, you know, the lockdowns that happened to uh, through COVID was a, was a very Chinese idea. And we, and we just get very dependent on them. The same thing with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. People were very, countries around the world were very dependent on Russia. And being dependent on an authoritarian regime is not a good idea. And like the whole idea that like, you know, I always say this, China uses rape as a form of torture. I don't think telling them like, hey, you know, that's, that's not nice. That's not gonna change thing. It's, it's not like, 
They're you know, like, oh, I didn't say, realize it was not nice. No, 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 Chris. Bullies respond to polite requests. Well, I mean, I do think we have to understand that the speech is made in the context of like, it's a diplomatic speech by the State Department. So it's going to be... So it's going to be wishy-washy? I mean, I don't think that follows necessarily. No, I think it's... There is definitely... Even in... Um, even when Pompeo was in charge of the State Department or whatever, there there did... Oh, he called them communist. He was one step away from calling him... Uh, what's that phrase, Shelley? Nope. But my point is... I don't think is, he said nope. He, he called them... The, the Nope. He didn't even say anything close to that. So nice try. To, to, uh... <laughs> but like you have to be like, oh, well, if they wanted to change, then sure, fine. You know what I mean? So I don't think that's the part that's the problem. I think the part that's the problem is... That like you have these opposing forces within any administration when it comes to China. You have the people who are going to be like, you know, they're always called China hawks, right? Mm -hmm. Like the people who understand the the actual dangers of the Chinese Communist Party. Typically, these are people more in like defense. Like national security. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you have the people who are like... The, the engagers, the, the whatever John Kerry's shoves. Like, yeah, the people who are like, oh, well, you know, we should just try to, like, let's not, like, decoupling is so harsh. Like, maybe there are still industries when we can work together, even though we're now trying to basically shut down their entire semiconductor industry. But as we far have as to possible. work with them on climate change, Shelley. Actually, there are signs that the Biden administration is going to try to. <laughs> I don't know if they're going to be as successful at this, but they're going to try to limit China's technology when it comes to uh, climate stuff and biotech. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, made a speech uh, a few months ago that kind of indicated some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think a lot of people paid attention to it. I certainly didn't. And then, then there was an article in Politico uh, last week that definitely was kind of like a plant article by the Biden administration that uh -huh. was like uh, about how the Biden administration is getting really tough on China, uh, Chinese trade. But it pointed out that like the Biden administration is about to do a bunch of things that focus not just on the semiconductor stuff, like mm -hmm. not just on quantum computing. I think actually there was something recently about quantum computing that the Biden administration did too. Uh, but they're also going to go and look at the biotech stuff and the like climate green technology stuff and try to limit China's ability to take over those industries too for national security reasons. Interesting, interesting. And I mean, yeah, let's talk about some of the good things. Like, you know, there, well, well Congress passed the CHIPS Act and then Biden also did uh, made his executive order uh, that very limited China's access to, you know, U.S. semiconductors, and that really had a huge impact on their economy and in that field. Um, I'm blanking on the other thing that happened. Oh, uh, the making Chinese companies delist on the stock market if they don't uh, actually allow audits to happen. Yeah, I mean, that's been in... That has been so long coming that I think that whole thing was maybe started in the Obama administration. Yeah, yeah. But because but. it's crazy that you know, any foreign company that lists on U.S. stock markets has to be audited. But China just said, nah, that's all staked secrets. And basically they would let the Chinese arms of uh, these like Western companies, like they would let the Chinese arm or Chinese partner of PricewaterhouseCoopers audit their books, but not the actual American firm. And 
you can never take the books out of China and nobody would actually know what they said. So like that Chinese firm would be like, everything's cool. And you'd have to just right. trust them. And then, and then Luck and Coffee committed massive fraud on the scale of $300 million. Uh, and it's like, oops. Oh, they, they did pay a fine for it, but I think the fine was only $180 million. So it was like, per, they really got only a slap on the wrist for an incredibly massive fraud and a fraud that probably would not have happened if the PCAOB, the US regulator had been allowed to actually get access to their books ahead of time. Yeah, they probably wouldn't be allowed to list. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're trying to relist again, which is stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, so the pressure was on and like it was, they were going to kick the all these Chinese companies off of the US stock exchange, but then the CCP actually bowed to real pressure. Yeah, That's I mean, that, that was the culmination of a long time of, and I think that is a lesson that like if, if you have something that the CCP wants badly enough and they came to the realization that they didn't actually want 200 plus Chinese companies to get kicked off the US stock market, then they will actually bow and do something that they're supposed to be doing in the first place. What is strange is like there is a lot of continuity um, in the US government with in regards to China. And like we're seeing the Biden administration take a lot of actions against trade in China also, and we'll get to it more later with the potential new surge of COVID coming from China. There's, you know, the US is also uh, making, you know, Chinese travelers submit a, a, a positive test. Or wait, the negative, negative test. test. Positively negative. Um, and these are, these are very similar to things that happened in the Trump administration, but the, the, the U.S. media is reacting very differently. Well, to no, don't worry, Chris. They still called that racist. We'll get to that a little later. Oh, good. Yeah. I was, I was worried that yeah. something wouldn't be labeled racist. Don't worry. CNN came through. Ah, thank you. Hey, you know what else happened this year? CNN plus. Was that what it was called? CNN plus. Was it called that? I can't even remember. The thing that like totally crashed and burned, right? Yeah. yeah. It turns out that people don't want to pay an extra like streaming subscription to watch CNN personalities like Cook or whatever that who'd was going have, on. Who'd have guessed? Who'd have guessed? Um, so yeah, I think to sum up the Biden administration China policy, there's there are there is a lot of uh, cause for celebration and cautious optimism. I think. Well, I mean, I think we have to keep a good eye on what they're yeah. doing and like they they don't have a free pass. You know what no, I mean? No, There's always there like I said, the danger is that like as the CCP maybe is gonna wise up a little bit mm -hmm. in the next few months as they try to rebuild their economy, uh, they might start to act more conciliatory. Yeah. Like they might back off the wolf warrior stuff a little bit. And if that happens, uh, are we gonna fall for it again? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I, no, I'd like to fall for it again. It's like but falling I, in love. You you want to be consistent at least. Um, well, so one of the, 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 it's not just zero COVID that was crashing the Chinese economy this year, because one of the earlier things that had been crashing China's economy is uh, the sort of massive failure of Evergrande, which actually happened at the end of, uh, 2021, but really kind of came to fruition in 2022. Don't worry, the government's going to bail them out. Yeah, but there were these massive protests in the summer where people were like, because they they bought their, um, like Evergrande and other real estate companies had sold apartments that hadn't been built yet. 
but people wanted to get them early, so they they pay up. Uh, and theoretically, that money is supposed to go towards that specific apartment building. But in reality, Evergrande was using them to complete earlier projects and essentially turning it into a pyramid scheme where there was never actually the money for the current thing. 90% of, of new homes in China are pre-sold like that. that. Which is crazy that you would be like, all right, well, I'm going to start paying a mortgage towards something that doesn't exist yet. Yes. Right. But there's such a craze for real estate in China. Well, because like for a long time, you couldn't invest in anything else. Right. Yeah, that's and, why it's like 30% of the GDP. But then now that you can invest in other stuff, a lot of real estate companies are getting involved in that too, which is like all these like loan products, right? Which is right. part of the reason that Evergrande failed. It wasn't just their, like the stupid way that they were doing real estate projects. It was also that they were speculating and the like kind of the the loan market where you would basically loan your money to Evergrande and they would promise you some crazy double digit return. Yeah. I mean, and when could repackaging loans into complicated collateralized debt obligations ever cause a problem down the line? I'm Put not even sure. I wasn't even I'm not even sure it's as complicated as that was, right? It was kind of like people were loaning their money to Evergrande, which was promising the return, but Evergrande wasn't using them to sell and repackage as other debt. They were essentially right. using that to fund the real estate stuff. As far as we know. Yeah, as far yeah. as we know. But anyway, the point is that like when the real estate stuff starts to collapse, then all this money that people were loaning to Evergrande also started to blow up. So you had even Evergrande employees protesting because they were forced to buy all of these like loan products essentially. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, I want my money back. Like, not only am I not getting paid, yeah. but like, you have my money. It was a big year of protests. And yeah, people were, were out protesting this. And there were even cases of when people were going to go to the, to the area where the protest was of their, you know, COVID apps suddenly mysteriously turning red. And that meant they couldn't access, you know, Oh, that was the Henan Bank one. Yeah. 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 But yeah, bank failure is not an unknown thing in China now, too. No. But the it reminds me of It's a Wonderful Life. <laughs> the good thing about the mortgage protest is that a lot of it was like people just basically boycotted paying their mortgages. Yeah, they so just stopped paying. So this is a kind of protest that it's very hard for the CCP to stop. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like you can go stop a bunch of people on the street or you can keep them from traveling because their COVID app turns red or something like that. It's like literally how are you going to force them to pay it? Yeah, like arrest well, them. Well, I have a solution to that, which is China's new digital renminbi currency. So once China fully implements its digital RMB, then they'll have direct control over everyone's money, no matter where it is. So they could just take it for you, from exactly. you whenever they'll, they want They'll to. just help you repay the mortgage as they feel you are obligated to do. So I'm a big fan of, of the government controlling uh, digital currency, by the way. I think that's, I think that's a great way to make sure that, that people uh, don't have the freedom to do terrible things like protest. That's true. Well, I know uh, in response to the mortgage protest, the, the CCP was like, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll let you not pay mortgages for six months. It's like, you're already not paying. <laughs> we'll, we'll let you not pay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and uh, we'll also crack down on the, 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 uh, Evergrande's and other real estate companies by loaning them money. Yeah, yeah, let's solve debt with more debt. Yeah. It really is like, 
Oh, what's that's the Simpsons thing about digging a hole? Oh, it's dig up, stupid. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, this is the thing about the Chinese Chinese Communist Party and how it runs the economy. It's like a boat on the water and it's sinking and there's a bunch of holes spouting water and they, and they're like desperately trying to like stick their finger in the holes. And so far they've done a pretty good job of it. They've got a lot of fingers. Yeah, but they also have tentacles. a lot of <laughs> they have a lot of foreign money yes. that is bailing out the water in the boat. It's like sponges absorbing yeah. Yeah. the sea of debt. Yeah. So uh, well, and that's why American companies like BlackRock should keep investing in China. Yeah. Because it'll it'll keep these problems at bay. If, especially since BlackRock is investing other people's money. Yes. Oh. Well, that's that's the trick. Always invest the sucker's money and not your own. Yeah, that's that's probably very true. But hey, you know who we really have to thank for this wonderful economic relationship uh, between China and the U.S.? Henry Kissinger? Maybe. But also that great reformer. Oh, I see what that you're <laughs> pinnacle of a man... Jiang Zemin, who died this year. That's that's one of the other big stories. Yeah, yeah. This this situation is largely because of uh, his colorful antics and the willingness of Western powers to ignore all the genocide. Like it's almost crazy because Jiang Zemin, uh, like he he sort of rose to power after he supported the 1989 Tiananmen massacre. And after Deng Xiaoping died in the mid-90s, Zhang basically fully took over. Uh, and there's all this like footage and photos of Bill Clinton with Zhang Zemin and like they're sort of working together. And Zhang was like, yeah, like we, we love working with the West and, you know, it'll help he us reform. He could recite and... the Gettysburg address. I mean, he was, he could speak English too. Uh, I mean, that comes with reciting the Gettysburg. Yeah. Gettysburg. Well, no, you could have just phonetically memorized it. Sure. Uh, well, I mean, I, he could speak some English. I'm not sure how super fluent he was, but he liked to drop English phrases. Mm -hmm. So naive. He became a meme. Yes. And uh, actually after he died, a lot of people were posting that video yeah. clip on YouTube. I, I mean, on Twitter. I understand. I mean, we put that on YouTube and it has like millions of views. <laughs> Yeah, where he's just like freaking out at like a Hong Kong reporter who asks like a pretty banal question. He's like, "You, yeah." That's the one where he's doing like this crazy. But but the point is, he got Western companies to invest, and moreover, he got the leaders of the free world to agree that it was the right thing to do to let China into the World Trade Organization, which opened the door for massively more. They would investment. eventually reform. I think it's right. like when Deng Xiaoping put on the cowboy hat. Remember that like photo of Deng in the cowboy hat? It's I this don't. like, it's used as an iconic like, oh, China's changing now after Mao. Like Deng Xiaoping, the the guy who started the reform and opening up stuff, right? He's yeah. wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> Jiang Zemin wearing a a tricorn hat from like when he was in Colonial Williamsburg. Mm -hmm. Just the idea that oh yeah, like China's going to become more like us. Yeah. How'd that work out? Um, technically true in some ways. Ah. Right. And we also became more like China. Yeah. So that is how. Yes. Uh, so he, I mean, among other things, he basically launched the persecution of Falun Gong in the late 90s. 
and the whole, you know, state sponsored killing people for their organs and then selling those organs at state run and military hospitals. And not just that, but like we, we know this was something we found out from China researcher Ethan Gutman that like Jiang built the Great Firewall, not personally, uh, specifically as a, as a means of like preventing Falun Gong practitioners in China from like getting stories out of the Chinese internet. Yeah. And what's interesting is like all the, all the mechanisms that Jiang Zemin set up to go after this, you know, spiritual practice in China, right? So he sets up, so there's the, there's the mass surveillance, uh, the internet firewall, the organ harvesting system, and now they're being used against all these other groups and especially the Uyghurs, right? Well, I mean, you can't let a good mass surveillance system go to waste. Yeah. But like once, once Jung built these systems, they don't go away. They might target new people. Yeah, they're definitely but, not going to go away because the CCP does not do truth and reconciliation, right? Like they don't look back on their past and go, whoops, that was a mistake. We should never do this again. There's none of that. So right. the you run out of Falun Gong people because you've- You've, you've killed you've, them all for their organs and now uh, you go after the, the Uyghurs. Then you have to find a new, yeah, group to use it against. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I mean, I think even a lot of the zero COVID kind of surveillance wouldn't be there if that infrastructure hadn't been built uh, built with the persecution of Falun Gong, the persecution of Uyghurs, the general persecution of dissidents in China. Right. Yeah. I mean, certainly the, the mass internet censorship, which was sort of uh, pushed forward by Jiang Zemin's desire to stop Falun Gong from spreading information. I do think, though, that like no matter who was in charge and for what reason, eventually like eventually the CCP would have gotten there. Oh yeah, because, no, like, I, agree, I would agree with that. There's it wasn't no just way be, like for the CCP to survive without that type of censorship apparatus. Well, yeah, it's so, like the people who think Xi Jinping is the problem and he is, but he's the bigger right. problem is the Chinese communist problem. Right, I mean, to a degree, it's like, it's like Jiang Zemin and uh, Xi Jinping have used the CCP as their tool for repression, but also the CCP has used them. It's like- don't hate the player, hate the game. Yes. So the CCP is the game? Yeah. Okay. That's beautiful, Chris. This analogy tracks, trust me. Yeah. So anyway, Jiang Zemin's dead. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it doesn't, okay. doesn't, doesn't change anything really in terms of China still being a terrible authoritarian regime. But it is interesting to, you know, kind of speculate how it might uh, affect uh, the people's favorite communist soap opera, General Hostility, because Xi Jinping and Jiang Zemin were in a you know pretty intense political power struggle. Now that Jiang's dead, what will that mean? I think that goes nicely into the, to the next topic. Okay. Well, well, we're not going to talk about what that means. Well, we can talk about it in the context of uh, Xi Jinping this year, you know, also becoming uh, another five-year term president, presentator for life. Well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's it's called a five-year term, but also we're saying he's going to lead for life, which is to say that the terms themselves is really just a mechanism and not some kind of like constitutional or legal restriction. It's It's more like a suggestion. And then, you know, if you have enough power, you can manipulate it to your will. Yeah, and for Xi to have gotten this third quote-unquote term means he's he's got a lot of power. 
you want to say something, Shelley, 2023, be the year where you don't hold it in. Let it out. Uh, well, I mean, the thing about Xi Jinping and the terms is like, yeah, he has a lot enough power to do that. But is he all powerful? I think that a lot of the analysis after he got his five year, third five year term in Western media was like, he is all powerful now. There is no one to stand in his way. It's like we live in Xi Jinping's world now, yeah. you know. It's like at the end of Aladdin. Okay. Where Jafar wished to become a genie <laughs> and he had unlimited power, but then like those things clamp on his wrist and you realize, oh no, he's actually been chained. Uh-huh. So you think Xi Jinping's been chained? I think so. He's he's chaining himself to the rise and fall of the Chinese Communist Party, and it's not looking great for the Communist Party. Yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot of speculation back in 2012 when he first came to power and not a lot was known about him, and he was kind of a quote-unquote compromise mm -hmm. guy between like Jiang and Hu Jingtao's people. And the idea was like, oh, maybe he will reform. I think like every time that a new CCP leader comes up, We've there's always- We've been saying it for so many years. Maybe, maybe this will be the one who will actually reform. Uh, so then when he started to make all these speeches and talk about you know the importance of communism and how we can't forget like the importance of uh, you know the, like all of the stuff. And then I think there is still a little bit of denial about it, even in Chinese dissident circles about like, oh, maybe he's, mm. maybe he's just saying it. You know the he, biggest river in China? <laughs> the Yangtze. The Yangtze. No, <laughs> it's denial. Uh-huh. Well, yes, I knew what you were going for. Thank you for humoring me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was like a mat level joke, Chris. Oh, good, so you got it. Yes, I got it. Good. Uh, anyway. But like, you know, he's Xi Jinping has talked multiple times now about how Gorbachev destroyed the Soviet Union mm -hmm. by <laughs> capitulating to all this political reform stuff and how the CCP can never do anything like that. So, yeah. yeah. Though I, I am curious, like, I don't think anyone really knows what Xi Jinping wants necessarily, like, because most of these, you know, past 10 years has been him in a power struggle, just trying to not get purged himself. Uh, and even today, he like as we said, he doesn't have absolute power. There's lots of you know challenges facing the Chinese Communist Party, especially in the next year. So, like, what what will he do when he feels secure? Like, what is his end goal? Is it he, just to make it to the end of his life? He just wants to sit in the shade and eat some honey. <laughs> mm. Oh, if only history would allow that. Yeah. No, he's gonna uh, delicious he's gonna Xinjiang honey, made from. Uh, but no, he's gonna he's gonna crash and burn with the Chinese Communist Party eventually if he lives that long. So well, if he, I mean, that's that's yeah. his fate, unfortunately for him. But you know, he kind of he kind of had opportunities, multiple opportunities, I think, to actually implement reform as we in the West would see it or hope for. And he has not taken any of those opportunities. And in fact, he's doubled down on uh, his faith in the Chinese Communist Party. Do you think, though, Matt, that if maybe we just invested a little more money, Xi Jinping might have a change of heart? You know, that's, that's a good idea. I'm going to move some money to BlackRock. You'll thank me later. But yeah, I think some things that we, we should look for moving forward as far as like the general hostility side of things is uh, what happens to Tseng Ching Hong. 
Oh, right? The... That's, that was Jiang's right-hand guy. Well, I mean, his right-hand guy that's still not in prison yet. Yeah, his right tentacled talon monster claw guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Zheng Qinghong is like, I guess, the de facto head of the Jiang faction now. Yeah, so if he ends up uh, in jail or like a piano falls on him. Uh, then we'll know we're living in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Hey. I feel like we're already living in Looney Tunes, Shelley. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately for Xi Jinping, his glorious rise to power was overshadowed uh, by the next big story. Uh, the, everyone freaking out that Hu Jintao was openly purged in a Stalinist kind of way in the, in the middle of the National People's Congress. Look, he just wanted those papers. Who's, who's Hu Jintao? I have no memory of this person. Who? Jintao? I'm not as clever as uh, as those guys were. I Abbott and Costello. Abbott and Costello. Uh, yeah, I mean, this that was that was crazy. Well, it also reminded me that like right before the Congress, there was like those rumors of a coup against Xi Jinping, and everyone was freaking out about that. And that was a case where we were like, uh, I don't think this is this is real. Uh, everyone, calm down. And then there was also kind of with this Hu Jintao purge, everyone was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's like Stalin. And we and we were also kind of like, ah, I don't know. I think the thing is that it's so boring these meetings that anything that happens that's at not oh god rehearsed. Yeah, at the start what what was it somebody like doing something about uh, like the talking about the tea or the tea leaves there was some like crazy thing where somebody was trying to make a statement about like. Uh, the the what the what the tea at the party meant or something really oh wrong. yeah people were speculating about weird stuff like oh how like I forget what I I kind of remember what we were talking about but I forget what the specific thing yeah. was it's like how Xi Jinping was drinking tea during his speech I think well the reason the party congress is so boring is that everything that happens in the party congress has already been pre decided through months or years even of power struggling so. It's like it's like all they're doing is going through the forms. They're not actually voting on anything. They're not actually discussing anything in any meaningful way whatsoever. It's just like the final piece and the public piece of like a much larger thing. Oh no, I found it. It was it was from CNN as well. Here's why she's subtle gestures during speech worries people. Yes, yes. So that's right. Like he was like drinking tea a lot during a speech or yeah. something like that. And there was also some crazy take about how, like, Xi Jinping's authoritarianism represents whiteness. Do you remember that? That was, like, some uh, some commentator in Africa, uh, no, Australia. Oh, right. It was, like, a really weird article about how, like... Oh, yeah, here here it is. It's, uh, it was from ABC... Uh, Stan Grant, uh, to understand China, you need to understand whiteness, yet it's missing from the conversation. And it was this weird, like, twisted logic where... I think like, the guy, like, his thing is kind of that, you know what I mean? So he was applying it to this. It's it, like, was, it was bad. So, yeah, the point was that, like, that's where the reporting was. I mean, I don't think you can call this reporting. This yeah. is just like that was opinion article writing. and you Until know. Hu Jintao was like practically picked up and dragged away. I mean, 
I don't know if he was picked up and dragged. They they crushed him into a ball. (laughs) And dribbled it. Dribbled it. Uh Because this is a Looney Tunes cartoon. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, he was obviously, like, confused and not doing well. So then you had the people who were saying, it's because he was sick. And other people being like, oh, it's not. There's something else going on. And then we were like, it could be both. Yeah. And, like, he was... He was seen, like, I think later that week at a party meeting. His son, like, gave a speech somewhere. He was featured on the CCTV news. Yeah, that like, day, which these are things that aren't happen. These don't happen if somebody was actually perched. Yeah, he was at Hu Jin, I mean, not Hu Jin, Hu Jintao was at Jiang Zemin's funeral prominently. Yeah. yeah, like, it's, so yeah. Yeah, like, the, I think that was, again, one where, like, our calm, level-headed Looney Tune analogies won the day. <laughs> Am I right? Why do I have Looney Tunes in my head? Oh, I've been watching Babylon Five. That has a lot something lately. to do with one Looney of the Tunes. characters has like a particular fondness of Looney Tunes, which is weird because that's like a five hundred year old show at that point. <laughs> But uh, hey, I mean, I guess like some people like, you know, Shakespeare. Shakespeare a, is like a thousand years old or something. Uh, yeah. Not quite. It's a, Shakespeare is a 500-year-old show at this point. Not quite. Highly Close. recommend Babylon Closer 5. to you. I, I highly recommend Shakespeare. He was actually like mm-hmm. good at writing stuff. It was really interesting back in the day, you know, when when I used to go to his shows at the Globe. I'm not even sure what that joke is supposed to be about. Are you a vampire? Is that what the... (laughs) No, Shelly, the world is a vampire. (laughs) Smashing pumpkins. Smashing pumpkins reference, everybody. I really really should just uh, stop talking, maybe sort of lock down my jokes. Hmm. Was anything else locked down this year, Matt? No. (laughs) Was that Scooby-Doo? I started to do Looney Tunes, but you know, that was Scooby Doo, right? Uh, that that <laughs> if I had to say that was anything, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Shanghai locked down for two months after the CCP said they would not lock down Shanghai. Well, initially they were like, "Oh, we'll just like we'll like temporarily lock down half of the city, then the other half for five days, for five days each total city lockdown, two months." Yeah, I mean. I think this was the case in which the local party officials effed up a little bit. And, and then, what happened to the local party officials? He got promoted in the National People's Congress. Yeah, because he was like a Xi Jinping guy. Yeah. Yeah. Usually this would mean he gets purged, but, you know, his loyalty to Xi Jinping actually got him a higher promotion. Yeah. Let that be a lesson. Don't don't worry about competence. Does Just worry about loyalty. A suck up? Yes. yes. <laughs> okay. That's so wise, Shelley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've I worked in corporate America. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, like really the Shanghai lockdown was sort of like the perfect microcosm of the, the entire zero COVID. Yeah, like remember there was that guy who was like dead and being carried away and he was in a body bag and then it turned out he was still alive. Oh, yeah. yeah. I forgot about that, actually. That was nightmarish. He, yeah, he was in a gurney, and they were wheeling him out, and then the body bag started moving, and people freaked out, and this was all on camera. Yeah, yeah. which also, considering how many body bags we're seeing in China now. That's I a little worrying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they don't really check if you're dead. 
I mean, it doesn't you, matter because how, how, they'll make sure in the end you're dead. Yeah. Oh, it's it's kind of like uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail during the plague, and the like guy goes around and he's like, you know, bring out your dead, and people pile on the bodies, and the guy's like, oh, I'm not dead yet. And uh, yeah, is, and then they, what do they don't they like bean him or something? Oh, he's, yeah, he's like, oh, you will be soon. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you saw, you know, there was food shortages, people dying in lockdown, not being able to get medical treatment. Um, and these were things we'd seen in a lot of other Chinese cities as well. But also the fact that it happened in Shanghai was a shock to people. Because, I mean, that's like one of the richest, most prosperous cities in China. It's got a lot of the middle and upper class of Chinese society. It's, it's a shining beacon of how great China is. Yeah, really. It was that's supposed to be like, hey, look how great we, China is. Coming best, coming best. City, you know. Yeah. Lots of expats. Like, and I you think know. it was so intense because people in Shanghai had seen very publicly like what was going on in the other places. I think Xi'an was another like a very high profile one where a lot yeah. of stuff was captured on camera. That was last December yeah. when they had like a three week lockdown or something like that. Yeah. But Shanghai had it worse, I think. Well, for one, because mm -hmm. it was two months, but also because I think there was uh, a lot of political pressure mm -hmm. on Shanghai. So like it became such like a focus of censorship and uh, repression in terms of like trying to censor all the stories that were coming out of Shanghai. It was just like, and then people getting very mad about that and like mm -hmm. really fighting back against that censorship. Yeah, and, and the party really just doubling down on zero COVID is Xi Jinping's thing. We're not changing this full steam ahead we're never gonna change zero COVID. it totally works look at how great china is and well well you know the party knew zero COVID had to end i think at some point i mean if they started by changing the definition of zero COVID to meaning zero community spread oh they did that in they, right yeah so like they had already started doing some of the shenanigans like a year ago when they were like oh uh yeah it doesn't count if there are people who still have covid but they're already in quarantine yeah or like what was it, zero covid on a local level yeah it's all the different words for the same thing which is like essentially like once you get hauled away to a quarantine camp it doesn't matter if you get covid or not because you're not going to count uh and so the focus was on just hauling as many people away to quarantine as possible. So Chinese people started getting more afraid of quarantine than COVID. Especially as video came out of like those being horrible places or people dying there. I mean, a lot of people go to quarantine camps and they did not have COVID. Mm -hmm. So it would have been much worse if like they were really, really high infection zones. But like it was... It was like a lot of it was just like terrible sanitation. Like mm -hmm. if you were sick, it's not somewhere you want to be. There's no doctors and nurses. There was the, the case the like a few months ago. The sheets were not ago. even necessarily washed. Yeah. Like you might be reusing old old like um, blankets from another person who just left and you don't know whether they were sick or not. Mm -hmm. uh, there was the case of like a young girl who died in a quarantine camp because she started having like seizures or something. There was no medical staff at this quarantine camp and her relatives weren't able to get her help in time essentially. But like for the most part, it wasn't that these places were hot beds of COVID. It was just like the whole thing was so terrible that nobody wanted to have right. to go there. I mean, and the worst part was probably that, uh, that bus carrying people who did or even didn't have COVID carrying them off to a quarantine center. And then that bus crashed and killed dozens of people. Yeah, that was definitely a major escalation in like sort of the pressure cooker of zero COVID. It, it had been building a lot. 
over the years. And then the bus crash, that was that was a big one. Yes. That was a big one. Because what's one of those things where like, that could be me. Yeah. Because it's not any of those people's fault that they got on the bus because they were essentially forced to yes. under the zero COVID policy. And as, like we said, we we're talking about that, like they would just quarantine. And like, if there are cases where if there was one person in your apartment complex, not even in your apartment building that got COVID, sometimes entire complexes were hauled off to quarantine. Mm -hmm. Like it didn't matter because you, if you could be considered a, a close contact of someone, like all those crazy videos of people like fleeing Ikea and Costco and things like oh, that. yeah, yeah. When like somebody had tested, like somebody had gotten like a red flag on their COVID app like earlier that day at some point in the store. So now they're going to lock down the store and everybody's running for the exits. Like that is kind of the... the that was the environment that everybody was operating in. And then that kind of led to the Bridgeman protest right before the National People's Congress. Yeah. I would say that you're right in that Shanghai was like the first big domino to fall in this. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like things like the bus crash were big, like all of these things that the CCP was trying to keep people from finding out about. Right. And then there's the that apartment fire in well, Xinjiang. Before that, I think the bridge man was a significant uh, turn in the whole zero COVID thing, uh, where, where that guy who was quickly arrested, you know, put up those banners, um, you know, complaining about things, complaining specifically about the Chinese Communist Party and Xi Jinping. Well, like one of his set of banners were specifically about like, we don't want COVID tests, we want freedom. Like mm -hmm. a lot of things like complaining about like the zero COVID stuff. And then another banner was basically like, you know, Xi Jinping like step down. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. And then that message was, uh, you know, repeated throughout China. People were scrawling it in bathrooms and it became known as like the toilet revolution since bathrooms are the only place in China where there are no surveillance cameras yet. Yet. And also Chinese uh, people abroad uh, yes. also began doing the same thing. And this was really like, I think that was like a big turning point where people started to get the idea, oh, we're all upset. Because the Chinese Communist Party and communism in general likes to divide people, make them afraid of each other. And this was a moment where people realized like, oh, no, I'm not alone. We're, we're all kind of on the same page. Yeah. Right even now. for overseas Chinese students, say, at a university in the U.S. or the U.K., somewhere to post some of that, like, that same language on uh, posters around the campus or to attend a demonstration, like, that is ballsy for them. Because, yeah. like, they will, like we mentioned earlier... Uh, in the episode, like they could get, you know, reported the, to authorities in China. Mm -hmm. That was what that guy who got arrested by the FBI was trying to do. He was trying to get the other Chinese um, pro-democracy person like in trouble, like get their family in trouble with Chinese police in China. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, what a snitch. But so there was a fire in the Xinjiang apartment building and the official death toll is 10, but probably... At least 40 some people died. Mm -hmm. um, this is reporting from like weaker dissidents and things like that who had, had like people who had had multiple family members die in the same fire. Even though it was supposed to be mainly Han Chinese people in the apartment building. Am I, I correct in that? I don't know if that's true. Okay. Um, I mean, the apartment building was in Urumqi. Mm -hmm. uh, but like there was, I think, like credible reports of at least like one Uyghur family, including kids, that were like six of them died or something. So that alone uh, mm -hmm. is counting for six people, right? And then, yeah, so I think the the 
death toll was definitely larger than 10, but we don't have an exact number. Yeah. And this was a situation where like the, the COVID workers were kind of blocking the fire trucks from getting in. I don't think it's that clear exactly what happened mm -hmm. in terms of whether it was the COVID workers blocking it or if the fire trucks got delayed in general because of like the COVID policy. I don't know if it was like the COVID workers at that building stopping the fire hmm. fighters because like that building was visibly on fire. Like yeah. um, there were video taken from other apartment buildings of that building and you can hear people screaming. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if it was like that clear cut as to exactly why they got delayed, but uh, you know, people across China saw this and it led to this like, like this huge moment of rage because it's just like the bus crash where people were like, oh, that could be me. Yeah. And like it was people were comparing it like it started online actually and people were comparing it to like when Dr. Li Wenliang died, mm -hmm. the COVID whistleblower guy who got in trouble for texting a group of other doctors about COVID uh, he wasn't even trying to like publicly warn people about anything. And then he got taken in by the police department mm -hmm. and warned. And then he eventually ended up dying of COVID. And after that happened, there was this like huge amount of rage uh, from the Chinese people online. And the CCP kind of had to just let it happen mm -hmm. because they couldn't keep a lid on it. And that's kind of what was happening after the fire in the apartment building. Yeah, the that mass like, protests there all was, over China. Yeah, before even people went on the street, mm -hmm. there was like a huge buildup of anger on line that almost couldn't be censored. Mm -hmm. Like they were trying to censor it as much as they could, but people were fighting the censorship. So there was like more and more outrage building online and then that kind of spilled over into in-person protests yeah. all around the country. Uh, often from young Chinese people in places like Shanghai and Beijing. Yeah, which uh, a lot of people kind of just wrote them off as being, you know, little pinks or nationalistic, you know, brainwashed because of, you know, a couple decades of patriotic education by the Communist Party after the Tiananmen protests largely led by students. I mean, these are people that were not alive yeah. during the Tiananmen protests, so. And probably never heard of it. No, very likely. Yeah, now if if only the Communist Party hadn't you know, covered up all mentions of the Tiananmen Square massacre, then maybe those young people this year would have been afraid to come out and protest, but they weren't. They were too bold. Uh, what was called the blank paper revolution, the white paper revolution, the A4 revolution. Oh, yeah. Like different words, but like because people were holding up blank pieces of paper, uh, you know, as a protest against the censorship. Mm -hmm. And in Shanghai, literally people were calling for the CCP to step down and Xi Jinping to step down. Yeah. And I think what was interesting about this is, you know, anytime there's like, like when we were in Hong Kong or when you see protests like this, there's always people like, okay, when are they going to send in the tanks? And the CCP has evolved past that in a lot of ways. Like they're smarter about how they repress. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were no, I don't think they had riot police in 1989. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like there just wasn't a thing in China. Yeah. And like the system of surveillance, they're just able to arrest people after the fact. So you don't see... You don't have like a visible martyr. Right. And, and I think the lesson, the one of the lessons the Communist Party took from Tiananmen is that the, the problem with what happened in Tiananmen Square is that Western media were able to film it. And they filmed some of the violence and they f that are happening in Beijing near the square. And they also filmed Tank Man and it became iconic. And now everyone's got their, you know, mobile phones shooting video. And so... So like 
it's so easy for one, you know, too violent move by the CCP or by the police to become this video of a martyr or to have this big international impact. So the trick is to not let things escalate to the point where people are able to to get video of it and post it online. I mean, I think Chinese people also understand the power of a video, right? Which is why so many people, like they're always filming, like you always see whenever there's a protest, you see everybody with their phones up mm -hmm. because everybody knows that like, okay, this is, you have to record it uh, so that people know this happened. And this was happening also when people were getting hauled away to quarantine and stuff like that. They would be posting videos of like the terrible quarantine conditions and being like, please let other people know about this. Like, yeah, yeah like the, they understand that video is incredibly powerful for, you know, showing people what's actually happening. Right. And this is why, you know, we're not seeing riot police in China just opening fire on protesters because that would be captured on video. And the CCP understands the danger of that and that that will become a political uh, problem that they would have to deal with that other countries are like, oh, well, they're actually shooting people. Yeah, now. I mean, like that might make people hesitate like two whole weeks to pump money into China. I know, and they can't afford those two weeks, Chris. <laughs> That's possible, which, very possible. Which, which is again, why? So like, what what are they doing? They're, they had sort of let some of, the, they censored a lot of it, but they couldn't censor everything. And they let some of it kind of happen. But then afterwards, they were doing things like, you know, tracking down using, you know, people's cell phone GPS or surveillance with face recognition. They were tracking down people who were at the protest and they would do things like threaten them or invite them to the police station to discuss things or even arresting them. But they don't even have to necessarily do that because people get the idea that like they'd been to one protest uh, they thought that they were anonymous because they were wearing a mask and maybe even a hat. But the fact is the CCP knew they were there and they and basically was like, yeah, if you do this again, it's going to be big trouble. So that's terrifying. And in many ways, it's more terrifying than going to a protest where, you know, your chances of being shot are one in a thousand. Uh, and if you're not one of those people, you can get away. Right. But in this case, no matter what, like you're never going to get away because they, they know you were there. And also like instead of being tied to a group of people, it also once again isolates people. Um, but I think the real the real challenge that CCP will be facing in the new year will be the fact that so many Chinese people now are resentful of the regime and of Xi Jinping and know that they aren't alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that like people may get the impression that protests work since China then- Backed off the zero COVID. Backed numbers. off zero COVID very quickly. Which I guess kind of leads us into some uh, speculation of the coming year because uh, COVID is definitely spreading very quickly in China. They don't, they, you know, there's, well, one, there's lots of comorbidities. COVID hasn't really moved through the population the way it has in the rest of the world. There's no like kind of herd immunity. They have, they say they have a 90% vaccination rate, but that rate is much like less in older people. Yeah. And also China's vaccines are probably like not that super effective against yeah. current COVID variants. I mean, even, even the best vaccines in the West. No, aren't... we can't talk about that. Don't talk about that, Matt. We'll be canceled. Uh, vaccines are perfect. Thank you. 
Uh, but uh, approved by the CDC. <laughs> We're probably we are going to get one of those little boxes under this one, aren't we? Probably. Uh, but th- yeah, the I find it interesting that there have been certain WHO officials who have come out and said that like COVID was already spreading, like was already starting to explode. Yes. Uh, before they scrap the zero COVID policies. And I think, I think especially for us, we need to keep, we need to remember to keep saying that point because that's something that I'm sure the Communist Party will love to sweep under the rug. Yeah. And I think that guy, the guy who said that actually was one of the people who in the beginning of the pandemic was one of the WHO guys who was like praising China's COVID. Interesting. Uh, for, like policies and was like, if I had COVID, I'd want to be in China. Oh, it was that yeah, guy? Yeah, it was that guy. Wow. And now even he's coming out and being like, no, we are pretty sure that COVID was already starting to explode that's in China. Interesting before they scrapped their policies. So it's not that they scrapped the policies and then COVID exploded. It's that their policies were failing. Yeah. Uh, so it could be that the CCP saw this like convenient, a convenient exit ramp. A scapegoat. Yes, in the idea that like, okay, well, we can now, we're going to open up as rapidly as possible. If anything bad happens, we can blame it on the protests. Yep. And uh, zero COVID was perfect. It mm-hmm. worked great for three years. We kept everyone so safe. And now we're so strong that like COVID's like just a cold, really. It's barely even of the flu. In fact, hardly anyone has died, right? Yeah, actually. Like less than a dozen people nationwide, I think, officially. Yeah. Uh, I had seen some uh, like expert talk about how if the US was using the same criteria that the CCP was in terms of who's died of COVID that like the actual number of COVID deaths in the US would be, I forget, I think like 45,000 or something like that, like As instead of over a million. million. Wow. Like that's how like stringent the CCP's criteria of what has count as a COVID death is. And anecdotally, but of course, now that the CCP is um, trying to cover all the stuff up, like we're only really going to get anecdotal information. Um, there was somebody who was posting on Twitter about her relatives in China uh, dying of COVID, but not being able to put that on death certificates because, according to her, funeral parlors will not take you mm. if that's like if COVID's on the death certificate. So she's like, so in the last two weeks, I've had four relatives die of diabetes and stroke, heart attack, but not COVID. Very interesting. Yeah. And, I mean, there is footage coming out of like funeral parlors with body bags stacked high. Hopefully none of them will start moving. Uh, There was, you know, footage of uh, places having to use like warehouses or underground parking lots to store extra bodies because there are so many bodies. Like it is, again, people filming this stuff as a record. Zombie apocalypse kind of stuff. Uh, So there are no extra bodies here. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose if you really, really, like, you could argue that it's faked, right? Or you could argue All those videos on Twitter are faked. Yeah. They're full of jelly beans. Just Uh, jelly beans. Okay, because we're back in a Looney Tunes skit. (laughs) Um, I'm latching on to that, I guess. It's my escape from reality. Uh, Because reality is, well... uh, Yeah, so, I mean, this is... The thing is, this is very much like 2020. Uh, COVID is spreading through China. The, the Communist Party is in full denial mode. It's right before the Lunar New Year, 
and uh, international travel is going to be a big thing. Yeah, they're people. scrapping, the CCP is scrapping both inbound quarantine requirements for mm -hmm. travelers to China, and also they're going to start letting people travel outside China again. Yeah, so yeah, like they have, they have prevented people from leaving China for basically most of zero COVID. Yeah. And now suddenly, hey, hey, go, go. It's fine. Go, have Don't worry. fun. I mean, people, it wasn't just that there was like a ban exactly on Chinese people leaving China. You'd have to have like specific reasons you were leaving and mm -hmm. tourism was not one of the reasons. But also there were so few people leaving China that like there were almost no flights and tickets were outrageous. Like to go for like a round, like round trip trip to the US or something could cost you like $5,000 or like some $10,000, like some kind of outrageous amount of money yeah. that no one would pay unless they had to for some reason. Yeah. And, but yeah, I mean like this, they're, they're just like back at the start of the pandemic, they're pushing people to travel internationally. Well, because I think now like the zero COVID dismantling happened so quickly that the propaganda apparatus almost didn't know what to do. Like they were censoring people, but like they didn't know what the actual propaganda line was for a while. Now they're saying things like, we have the correct conditions for opening up again. You know, COVID is weak and, uh, you know, we, and are, we are strong. strong. Uh, like all this kind of stuff about how like if anybody is uh, like, if, like the Western media is distorting what's happening in China. COVID is totally under control. Like it's all lies, you know, so they're now kind of going with this. And so some part of that propaganda is things like showing Chinese tourists like snowboarding in like Chinese ski resorts and being like, <laughs> it's like the economy is recovering, like everything's going well it's now, fine. like everything's opened up. So of course, like, you know, they have to let people travel again. And here we are. How do you think... Uh the the world has learned anything after 2020 i mean we still depend on china for our medical supply chain that's that hasn't changed there were a bunch of countries that were like we welcome chinese tourists again like were uh, there yes oh. like several european countries like france uh had the like big like welcome message on weibo or something like that and like but there are certain countries that are a little more hesitant, like Italy. Japan and Italy. Yeah, I think- Well, it Italy's policy in January 2020 was like, hug a Chinese tourist. I don't think that was an official policy. I think that was just some stunt that someone did. Like that some- was, Yeah, it was like- cool thing. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, that shows like they were, they were much more open to China. And that really, I mean, Italy was really the first place outside of China that really got hit hard by COVID. They were the first place in Europe. I think South Korea was kind of getting hit at the same time okay. in Asia. But like in Europe, like Italy was the first place that got hit hard and the first place to really start lockdowns. Yeah. Uh, they locked down like Lombardy in like mid to mid February, something like that of 2020. Yeah. And so like now there was that story about how they tested two planes of, from China uh, mm -hmm. uh, like to Milan and found that almost 50% of the passengers on each plane had COVID. Yeah. So now they're implementing mandatory testing. And uh, the U.S. is is requiring a negative test from travelers from China. Before they get on the plane. Before they get on the plane. Which is interesting because this is, this is another one of those things like where the Biden administration is doing something that essentially the Trump administration had done. It's, only they're not being I called mean, it's similar. Racist. It's similar. I mean, when Trump, the Trump administration had restricted travel from China. Yeah. But like we didn't have like mass COVID testing at the time. Uh, there was no COVID testing there, at all, really. Well, 
there was some, but like this was when like the CDC was really screwing up their COVID testing. I don't know if you remember this oh, it back was a, in, it was, it was a, a really bad cluster. Yeah. But, um, anyway, so by the way, I love the CDC. They're always right. You should listen to the CDC. Uh, Follow well, the, the link C- below. The CDC is the one that, you know, m- just mandated the testing from China. <laughs> but, uh, well, I, I was saying I saw a CNN article that did call the policy racist. Oh, right. We did talk yes. about that. Yeah. Yeah. That so like it was kind of like some ex- some experts say that like singling out China, you know, could be, you know, a racist like or like could be like discriminatory Who and racist. Who are these experts? I mean, they quoted one person who was kind of like, they quoted somebody who was like, well, like, I mean, COVID is also spreading in other parts of the world. So why single out China? But like, there are reasons why it's different in China. Well, because China is having a new wave, which could contain new variants that other people have not uh, gotten immunity to yet. At a time of mass travel. Although... there are experts who are saying that like so far, like because China is being infected with Omicron variants, mm-hmm. essentially, like people outside of China who've already been, because like all the other countries have been exposed to Omicron already, that it shouldn't be as dangerous of a situation as 2020 when mm-hmm. like nobody had any immunity to anything. And it was a more yeah. uh, lethal. And like we didn't know what was happening and we didn't know how to treat it. So like it's not quite a replay of 2020. It just feels like that in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, I mean the 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 thing that's a, a repeat is uh, it's spreading rapidly in China. The Chinese Communist Party for various reasons is covering it up. Uh, there's ample information that shows that there's terrible things happening and it's being covered up, but the Chinese Communist Party is nonetheless doubling down on its cover up. And the Chinese Communist Party is just like in January, 2020, in, uh, allowing and even encouraging Chinese people to go abroad from China. Yeah, so we're off to a great start for 2023. So welcome to the time loop. Uh, quantum leap, if you will. Yes. What does that or, have to or do? Or Groundhog with Day. Or, or Groundhog Day. We're just talking movies, Shelley. Okay. We're just going to mention random movies involving time travel. Yeah, uh, the Poseidon Adventure. It really is like the Poseidon Adventure. Looper. Looper. Ghost Ship. Back to the Future. The Abyss. All right. Well, that's how we're feeling right now. I guess. Well, it's, it's, it's a whole year and just a little over an hour. So as we wrap up 2023, welcome in the new year. You guys have any any visions, goals, uh, prophecies, revelations, or resolutions? I, I think the last three years have taught me to not make any sorts of prophecies whatsoever, honestly. Like, it did not. Remember in the beginning of 2020 what we were doing? Oh, visiting Taiwan. We were to in watch Taiwan. Democracy yes, in action. yes. We were watching people count votes in like the Taiwan presidential election. That was good. Uh, and uh, I remember being slightly worried as we were leaving Taiwan to uh, go back to the U.S. because I was in the airport going, you know, that weird virus that's in China is probably here already. It's already in the building. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I did not. I was thinking more like SARS, like 2003, 2004 SARS. I was not really had any idea that it could get as big as it did. 
Yeah, I mean, it it wasn't supposed to be that bad. I mean, it was going to be two weeks to slow the spread, but now it's been maybe be done by April, yeah, spring. Yeah, predictions not not always good. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, so no, Chris, we don't have any predictions <laughs> for this year. I mean, even something like those protests that happened uh, in China at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. kind of predict that. Yep. Well, how about any uh, resolutions? Carpe diem, because you never know. You never know. I feel like that was supposed to be hopeful, but actually, like, is really kind of worrying. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, as, as I as I joked about an episode, living each day like it's your last is not necessarily the most smart financial advice. Was oh, that's where I was betting on twenty twelve being the end of the world. Oh, and I yes. lost a lot of money on that. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Hey, remember that over ten years ago, <laughs> the Mayan calendar thing. Yeah, yeah. ten years after the Y two K end of the world. Oh, oh my gosh. What What is it about people like wanting the end of the world? Well, I think there's something about millenniums. So like mm-hmm. the two, two, year 2000 thing was kind of, I think, understandable. Like people thought the world was going to end at the year 1000, right? Because it was the end of the millennium. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It was, there was a lot of... Oh, yeah. I remember. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I think I think Matt is pushing this vampire <laughs> thing. I actually don't know that much about him after a certain amount of time. And I've never seen him in the sunlight or in a mirror. <laughs> uh, hey, after this, let's get let's get some pizza, like really garlicky <laughs> pizza. And eat it in front of a mirror. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my prediction for the new year. What? We'll be eating garlicky pizza in front of a mirror. Okay. Uh, no predictions for China? No predictions for China. What's your resolutions? Leave it in your comments below. Leave a like because we're finally figuring out that's something you should say on YouTube, that we need likes and comments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're really bad at promoting ourselves. We are. Maybe that should be our New Year's resolution. I think get, that's a good one. Get more people get to good. watch. Get good. Get good? Okay. And get smart. Get smart. That was a good show, too. Uh, thank you for watching China Unscripted. I'm Chris Chappell. I'm Shelley Chong. And I'm Matt Ganesta. And join us in 2023, where Shelley will finally say Dirty Reds. Never.